0: Welcome to Podcast on Podcasting, brought to you by U Studio. We're your go to resource for big ideas, helpful data, and practical tips on the art of corporate podcasting. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today. I mean, his history is all about audio. It started with AudioNet, where they were selling audio and video streaming, along with Mark Cuban, that eventually became Broadcast.com, one of the largest IPOs ever. When he's not CEO coaching or keynoting at a conference, he's a best selling book author, most notably Love is the Killer App. Here today to talk about how you can use audio to increase your likability, our guest, Tim
1: Sanders. <laughs> How you doing buddy i'm doing great jb i just paypal'd you money for such a glowing <laughs> introduction
0: you know when i called tim and told him what was happening here at you studio and rolling out this this uh podcast network i mean i couldn't stop you from ro- just rattling off the applications in particular how bosses could be more personalized Like, you know, you get those memos, like, and I know how you feel about memos, especially when the time of day they arrive. When those memos come, the inflection is lost, the personality is lost, the likability is lost, and it's like they're barking at you. And the idea of being able to communicate with staff or customers with your voice, with tone, with emotion, it really clicked with you, didn't it, Tim?
1: It really did. Um, And a little color here for everybody um, listening. My background, background is research. So, you know, starting out in college as a competitive debater, uh, later as a corporate researcher. So I think a lot in terms of numbers and studies and and things, things like that. So let's ground this in a little bit of research. Dr. Albert Morabian, University of California, Berkeley, spent decades studying how we decode the intentions of the other in a communication situation, right? So a person says something to you, JB, but you decode what they mean, you decode what their intentions towards you are, and it has a huge impact on whether you pay attention, whether you believe what is said, whether you act on what has been conveyed, and whether you retain the information when you go to sleep at night. And what Morabian learned is that he wrote a book called Mixed Messages years ago. He learned that when we're confused about what we read and what we hear and what we see, we always go with what we see and hear over what we read. And what he was able to do is identify, if you can think about it like a pie chart, he identified where the signals of meaning come from in communication. And not surprisingly, only 7% of the signals that we pick up meaning from are verbal. Words on paper, words on screen. Okay, um, 38% are auditory tone of voice is critical. It's one of those things where um, people really do detect our tone and it makes a really big difference. Here's what you take away from all of this. When you are running an email culture and you transition to an audio-based culture as much as possible, you increase the throughput of what you mean by 500%. So when I say throughput, um, I'm trying to communicate to you and usually the communication that we measure is I'm trying to communicate either change or coaching. So I'm either telling you about something that's different that you've got to adjust to, or I'm giving you constructive criticism, all right? And this even applies to positive recognition. There's a throughput you're looking for. In other words, you want the other person not only to understand what you said, but to understand what you meant, right? Because that makes them much more willing uh, to forgive you for change, to go with you uh, on advice, et cetera. So you're looking for a throughput. And what Morabian found is that we only pick up 7% of the cues and the intentions and the meaning in a conversation when we're just reading. But when we hear something and have that tone of voice, then it jumps from 7% to 38%. That's where I get the 500% it. lift. It. it is dramatic. So when I think about, you know, how leaders or managers should be communicating change, complex messages, constructive criticism, they should always seek to warm up the channel. And the way I think about that is that the coldest channel is reading, words on paper, words on screen, because it doesn't, it doesn't tell you how a person feels. The channel warms up a little bit When you hear someone, like in a conversation we're having right now, or say on a podcast, even in a voicemail, you detect that tone of voice. Then you warm the channel even up more with video communication. Now I'm decoding 30 different signals every minute in your face. And as a human being, I'm decoding all those signals, not just to determine whether you're lying to me, but more importantly, to see what we have in common, because kinship is so important to bonding. If you can just get from writing emails to podcasting it's like you've gone from one to eight on communication quality then you make that extra leap which has production issues of video and distribution issues by the way and you go to eight to nine so so really that step from writing on your laptop to doing what we're doing right now is probably the biggest gain you have as a leader in warming up the channel and climbing that ladder.
0: Boy, it, it has such impact. I mean, I, I've heard everything you've had to say in the past and read all your books, but to hear it again. Tim, you're such a good person to talk about company culture. Everybody throws the term around and, and you know, it have, probably have
1: different takes on it. Define company culture to me first. Um, culture is a conversation that's led by leaders about how we do things here. And that conversation uh, is not just uh, spoken about at conferences and in uh, national video rollouts. It's talked about every single day, and it's talked about by individual leaders and individual manners. And what it's doing is it's emphasizing the values by which we make decisions and allocate resources. It's emphasizing the common constraints as well as the best practices. And the reason I always say it is a conversation is because it's the leader's number one job is to build a strong culture. And what I mean by this is that when a culture is strong, the collective intuition is so strong, people know exactly what to do even when the manager is not around. The only way you can scale a company is to scale its culture. Think about it this way, JB. Culture is the operating system of an organization. Without it, you have chaos. So it's a question then of how do we lead that conversation in a consistent way. In your opinion, how can a leader effectively manage culture? Again, culture is a conversation, and the leaders have to lead that conversation effectively, which means they've got a breakthrough. They've got to create emotional connections where people actually buy in to their values and their priorities. And I think the key then for leaders is to warm up the communication channel every time they get a chance. So, you know, the the, the weakest of all communications, the coldest of all communications is typing on your laptop. And as a leader, if you want to improve your culture, you need to elevate that communication to the tone of voice. As I mentioned before, it's five times more effective at conveying your intentions. And as a leader, if you want to get buy-in, people need to understand what you intend, and they'll be able to hear it in your tone of voice. And I think that's why it's so important for a leader to have programmatic podcasting as part of their culture-building strategy.
0: Uh, one of the things I did not add to your, your massive resume that you were spending more time with now is one-on-one CEO coaching. Mm-hmm. And I, what I want you to talk about and, and how communicating with an audio format could affect that is the perception of the CEO, the, uh, how they create a culture in the office and how a channel could affect that using audio.
1: Absolutely. So um, what I've been doing for the last few years um, is... Taking on a role for certain executives as their advisor, their corporate advisor, and I give them research based advice on change management and Usually, what happens is that i 'm embedded inside that company, usually around a dramatic change the last few years it 's mostly been around uh, helping uh, CEOs or executives whose company has just been acquired by a large company, and I kind of help them think about change and I manage change so One thing I tell them to do is make sure that email is only used uh, for giving positive feedback, sending very simple messages like data, but for everything else, they've got to move up the channel to audio, and they've either need to make an audio recording, have an audio conversation, or if possible, maybe even move up the channel more to video. And I find that some of the executives I coach have gotten very good at making very short um, you know, communications, be it audio or video, and using those instead of emails uh, around touchy subjects. And they unanimously uh, report that they're able to be much more candid without creating conflict.
0: You know, I have a theory on this, which I'll share after your thoughts, but when is audio the best choice, even over video?
1: Well, I think when someone's going to have to consume the content on the go. When you know that they um, are not going to be in a bandwidth-rich situation or when your content uh, may be consumed uh, by a person who uh, doesn't always consume your content, audio becomes a very convenient format for them. Um, So video obviously takes a lot more bandwidth. Um, video is expected to be watched and not just listened to, so it tethers the person a little bit to a machine or a device. Whereas if I'm going to listen to a 15-minute leadership update from you, I can plug my you know, AirPods in at the gym and listen to it you know, while I'm on the treadmill.
0: One of the things that I think about, and I know it affects me personally, I behave very differently on camera than I do with a microphone in the comfort of my own office, studio, whatever environment it is. I can sit here literally in, in a comfortable outfit, and communicate, whereas as soon as that camera's in my face, I change. And I know from experience, a lot of people behave very differently when there's a camera in their face.
1: Well, and yeah, they really do. And you become much more self-conscious because of the preview, right? You're seeing it, et cetera, et cetera. So um, one of my uh, communication coaches, Nick Morgan, you Google him, he's one of the greatest coaches uh, of communication how people move others to action and um, one of the things he always tells me is that like the difference between making an audio recording and making a video recording is like having a beer with a buddy or going on a first date okay You, you just grab a ball cap and your keys to go have a beer with JB. But to have a first date, you got to get dressed. You got to look good. You're a little bit self-conscious. It's a whole lot more pressure. And that's how video can be.
0: So Tim, knowing that CEOs are usually pretty image conscious and how they present themselves to an audience, they're very aware of that. Do you find that in the podcasting format, being this informal, more conversational can make them really uncomfortable? Do you get resistance from CEOs to put on the ball cap and grab a beer, so to speak?
1: Actually, no. Um, What most CEOs are conscious about is reputation. And so image is a piece of the puzzle, right? So if they don't think they look good, bad lighting, bad hair deep wrinkles, they look like Nixon you know, during the presidential <laughs> debates, etc. It's not so much that they're, they're worried about their image as much as they're worried about their reputation. Is he or she healthy? Is he or she fit? Is he or she professional? Because these are all little signals and we worry about our reputation. So that's what I think the issue is sometimes with getting them on video. Surprisingly what I find is that if you invited a CEO to come to your industry conference and participate, they are significantly more likely to agree to a fireside chat where they're interviewed by somebody than to make a presentation Mm -hmm. because a presentation requires a lot of backswing. There um, is going to be a lot of rehearsal involved in their mind. They're going to worry about their reputation of not getting these things just right. But somehow we're just comfortable in having a conversation. I remember when Jack Welch, Um, Neutron Jack left the corporate world at GE and got on the lecture circuit, I I think for several years, including like today, um, he um, would only do conversations, did not do um, any types of keynotes because it was just easier for him. Um, The same goes for Colleen at Southwest. When she stepped down in her role, everything she did was a conversation, not a keynote. So I I really like the idea that You know, for executives, if you're trying to get out an important communication, having them interviewed like you and I are doing now gets that product out the door really fast. But if you ask them to make a 15 or 20 minute audio presentation or even worse, a video presentation, it could take them months. And I think the takeaway here, though, is that executives and managers need to practice this stuff a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you know, Maslow said it best, if you're good with a hammer, everything's a nail. And that's why everything's over email, because that's what we do. We're good at it. we have typed a million emails by the time you've been in business 10 years. Mathematically, the leaders
0: tend to be older, more experienced. And all the conversations online are about how to communicate with millennials. Everyone's trying to figure it out. I know having a 16-year-old that she loves listening to audio, you know, watching things. God forbid you sent her a PowerPoint, she would shut down. Right. (laughs) You know, but she'll listen to things. Uh, And I'm sure you deal with that with a lot of your CEO coaching.
1: Well, absolutely. So um, I have a friend, his name is Scott Stratton. He's a great um, communicator, comedian, marketing research guy. And he says that for us, people my age, 56, Millennial is a word we use to describe someone we don't like. <laughs> right. Um, we just don't understand the generations, right? So it's like what you, what you need to understand about the millennial is a couple of things. Number one, um, they have been uh, doing two to three things at once since they could walk. So, so I told you I'm not a huge fan of multitasking, but that's generational. My, my son, he's 32, Anthony, you've met him. If he's not doing two or three things at once, he becomes antsy that he's wasting his time. Wow. So, so audio does allow a person to listen as they do things. I read an interesting thing on Consumer podcasts that was part of a big podcast conference last year, and they said the average podcast listener is doing 1.8 things, meaning the podcast and 80% of the time is second item, mm-hmm. okay? And that's the median, which means that a huge chunk of podcast listeners, let's say 30, 40% are probably doing three things. So, so millennial loves to multicast. So audio is very multicast friendly. Um, Having them stop and read something is not having them stop and watch something is not. Okay. That's the number one thing. The number two thing I believe is that they are, are accustomed to short-form content in general. But what I mean by short-form content is that if you send them a long email, I call it war and peace, they won't read that email on the average. So when we did the Pitney Bow study, that's what we found is that when a leader writes an email that can't fit in the preview pane, the readership of that email drops between 50 and 90%. What happens is that you get that email in your inbox and you click it open and it's like, 6,000 words, and the first thing you do is you go, Oh my god, I gotta go to the bathroom. It's like Costanza and Seinfeld, you know, it's oh my gosh, I gotta stand up and go to the bathroom. And then you shut the email and you leave it in your inbox and say, When I have a minute, I'll go back and read it, and it languishes there, right? Mm-hmm. But when someone has written you a crisp piece of a communication that fits in the preview, you read it, you respond. I believe that audio fits within the same category that when you send somebody you say, listen to this when you have a chance, it's not the same thing as asking them to read this long thing. Um, so I, I, I see why more and more millennials um, have been gravitating more to podcast.
0: You know, I know you had a very active podcast for some time and you, you, you're, I know you're incredibly busy with the, the CEO coaching and probably had to, you know, put that aside for, for the time being. But what, what do you love about the format in general?
1: I I like the idea that I can convey what I'm really passionate about. Um, But quite frankly, JB, um, it's how I best communicate. So it's like if I had to choose between typing and doing audio recording and doing video work, the audio recording is for me personally where I feel like I, I get through the most and develop the greatest relationships with others. And I think that many executives that consider... Uh, you know, moving up that ladder from, from, from text culture to audio culture, they're going to find it's a sweet spot for them that they didn't realize. And in, before that, they would say, well, I'm great in conversation. And they misunderstand that thinking, oh, I've got to go to every office in all of our corporate empire and sit across the table. In fact, what they're really just good at is conversation, which isn't limited to face-to-face. That's very good, Tim.
0: Uh, thank you very much. I, I, I want to let you go because I'm doing that in hopes of having you on again. Because I could talk to you all day. Is that fair?
1: We're saving some stuff in the tank.
0: I just know we can go on and on, and we've got to p- practice what we preach here uh, on this podcast is is you know give people enough nuggets to bite off that they can apply it to their life and not overwhelm them, like those long, long memos you mentioned. So we're going to leave it at that. But, Tim, I can't thank you enough for your time, and I'm going to assume if you're going to pick up one book of Tim Sanders... Probably the most popular best-selling is Love is the Killer app. Is that correct?
1: A million copies in print. That's the one. That's the one I always tell people to start with. Well, timsanders.com
0: if you want more information. Thank you, brother. Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you.